This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Friday, March the 10th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the Academy Awards take place this weekend. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely stops by to give his predictions. And a new literary prize has been created to celebrate fiction. Karen McKay will tell you all about the Carol Shields Prize for Fiction. Before you get any of that, let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. boy, Brock. Lots to look ahead to this weekend in the world of sports. Let's start with the thing that will probably have the majority of your attention, and that is the Briar. So what's the latest update on the Briar heading into their playoffs? So we know now that the matchups for today will be Kevin Cooey versus uh, Mike McEwen from Ontario. Brendan Botcher versus Tanner Horgan. And we know that Matt Dunstone and um, uh, Brad Gushu have advanced to the non-knockout stage for the moment. They've advanced to the situation where they're going to get seeding in for the page playoff format. So the two winners of tonight's matchup when when these two games are decided will go into the 1-2 game, and then the losers will go into the 3-4 game. The 1-2 game basically means that if you get there and you win that game, you go advance to the final, and then if you lose, you still get a second chance and you play in the semifinal with the winner of the 3-4 game. So I like the playoff format. I think it's uh, really a good one because it, it kind of tells you that if you win your uh, pool, then you get a little bit of extra opportunity to kind of work out the kinks you might have a blip in the radar that's fine if you if you position yourself well you're able to sustain that and so that's what you've got for for um those two athletes so, so this is, this brock I, I need to unpack that a little bit because i'm a little confused i'm a little confused you threw a lot at me there i'm sure if i was a more hardcore curling fan i would understand what you were talking about better there but essentially there's two there's two teams that have buys they're not playing today they play tomorrow in a matchup for one versus two the one seed versus the two seed and the two teams that win today play each other tomorrow in an elimination game of the three four seeds is that correct almost so so what happens is those two teams that get the bye will play tonight against the two winners. One will, one of the winners will play one of the teams. The other winner will play the other one. And then those four teams will play tonight. And eat, whoever wins the games tonight, when we decide those four teams, will play in the 1-2 game later on on uh, sat- Saturday. And then the losers of those four teams will play in the 3-4 game. And then you proceed from there. Okay. I'm still a little confused. So there are games yes. this afternoon before there are games tonight? 
Yes, that's correct. Oh, okay, so I get it. So there's some qualifying games this afternoon. Two teams have received buys, and then all four of those teams get to go tonight. Okay, I get it. And then the teams who win tonight, they get another sort of, not a buy-buy, but they essentially get another, a, a couple extra games here to fine-tune themselves. Like, they don't, the, the two winners tonight don't have to worry about being eliminated first thing tomorrow. That's correct. You've got it. Okay, now. that's yes. complicated, but you know what? I like the system a lot. Yes, once you understand the system, and that is the biggest part of all this. Once you understand the system, then it kind of makes sense, and you you get to to you know relinquish some of your success and say, well, I've done well this week. So this afternoon's games between Kevin Cooey and Mike McEwen and Brendan Botcher and Tanner Horgan will be elimination games because right now there are six teams available. You need to get down to four to be able to make the positioning right, and all that. Right. So so. This afternoon's games are elimination games. So when you're watching today, don't don't shoot me messages. I thought you said this wasn't an elimination. <laughs> no, no, no. This afternoon's are elimination. It's this evening and onwards that may not be. You know, it's complicated, but I can see how fans of the sport would really, really like that as a, as a very different kind of playoff format. I, you know what? I approve. I approve. We, uh, we yeah. Just very quickly, we actually um, played a, a tournament like this, one of our fun ones, where we did this exact format and we loved it like if you if you did it the way that it's supposed to be done and you earn that number one seed you should get a couple of kicks at it where it doesn't mean make or break yeah you gotta yeah i like that that's uh, a good system brock another tournament that has a very weird system is the world baseball classic uh some of the action on east asia has been taking place throughout the course of the week the north american leg kicks off this weekend you caught a glimpse of the team canada jersey uh as canada starts their their tournament against great britain on sunday afternoon what's uh what was your reaction to the team canada jersey i saw a few people comment that they did not like it it's it looked like a little league jersey and i want to paint the picture for those of you that yes, are Jade please fans. do it, it, it sort of looks like the um Canada Day um, a Blue Jays jersey with the Canada written on the front and the, the leaf on the jersey, and then it's just red. It's very plain. It's very simple. I, I like it. I don't necessarily like the idea of, you know, making a bunch of this and that and just simple. They're representing their country. It's shown there, but there's a lot of like, ah, oh, this looks like a Little League uh, jersey, and I don't happen to agree. I think it's looks just fine a lot of the world baseball classic jerseys are not going to be winning any fashion design awards they're very kind of blocky monochromatic pretty straightforward that said the baseball is what matters and uh, although i've missed a lot of the east asian games because they get played at wacky wacky hours i uh, woke up early this morning and watched some of the japan korea game oh my gosh it was incredible those two teams were going at each other in fact even as we hit the airwaves today the game wasn't over it was a uh, 6-4 in the bottom of the eighth so they were uh, they were having a great game there with a lot of major league players out on the field so a lot of fun the world baseball classic something to uh, pay attention to tomorrow in the afternoon and throughout the day brock it's also a really good hockey weekend for the second time in 10 days the toronto maple leafs and edmonton oilers are renewing acquaintances yes they are and uh, we'll see uh toronto got their doors kicked in Oof. 10 days ago Did when they, they when they played edmonton let's see if uh you know home ice uh kind of buys toronto a little bit of success 
I, I did not like what I saw from Toronto. I loved what I saw from Edmonton. I think Edmonton proved, hey, look, we're we're a top team here, and and so is Toronto, and we just proved it. And I remember a lot of the ch- the chatter in the dressing room after that game from Edmonton was more of a, hey, if we can compete with a top tier team who's not in the wild card, you know, this is this is good. So Edmonton has some confidence, and Toronto needs to come out if they want to to have success and keep that second seed they need to win games like this and not get their doors blown off so that the fans you know aren't aren't jumping off bridges as toronto maple leaf fans tend to do when things go sideways uh so i'm looking forward to a good game and hopefully it's uh it's a better game and i don't i mean i want to see toronto win obviously because of my fandom but i don't necessarily care from a Canadian perspective, I just want to see a better game than the one we saw 10 days ago. It's it's a good hockey night in Canada game. Edmonton, by the way, nice win in Boston last night. Played pretty poorly in the first yes. period, hung in there, pick up a 3-2 win, and they did something that not many teams have done this year, which is win a game in regulation in Boston. So the Oilers are feeling themselves a little bit right now. Brock, I want to make mention of the Ottawa Senators. I mentioned how much I put my Dave Stink all over them since I gave them my seal of approval last week. They had a crackerjack last night in Seattle against the Kraken. So maybe a Kraken Jack, if you will. Come out to a 3-0 lead inside the first 10 minutes of the game. Blow the 3-0 lead. Fall down 4-3. Eventually win the game 5-4 when Alex Dabrinkat scores a goal with just a few minutes left in the third period. An absolute barn burner by the Ottawa Senators in Seattle Kraken last night. The Senators don't get to rest on their laurels too much though, Brock, because they're off to Calgary later in the weekend. Yeah, and you know what? This is one of those games I have uh, previewed and going to take in a little bit of it at least and see this because Calgary is a struggling team. Calgary is one of those teams that I am really disappointed in. I expected better things from Calgary, and I'm not seeing it, you know, and so we'll see. But Calgary is slowly slipping away from potential of being in in the uh, wild card, and Ottawa's kind of in that mix of, like, Maybe we're playing for something. Maybe we're not. So this is an interesting matchup and see whether Ottawa kind of gets really up to play this game and see whether Calgary decides we're actually going to make a run at this. But I'm seeing it slowly taper off if you're Calgary. With just a couple, with, with basically about a dozen games left in the season, this is a last call game for both these teams. If you lose this game, you're pretty much cooked, minus some kind of gargantuan winning streak. So they, the emotions are going to be running high when Calgary uh, heads when, when Calgary plays host to Ottawa. I believe it's a Sunday night, that game, uh, the Calgary-Ottawa yes, game. And Brock, you also had a Winnipeg Jets game on your radar. The Jets, ever since we offered them praise about a month ago, have been absolutely struggling, running out of gas. Connor Hellebuck has regressed back to the goalie he was last year, not the Vezina candidate he was the year before so uh the Jekyll and Hyde Jets continue to work their way through the season we should we should just stop offering praise to teams this is what I'm this is what I'm learning to be true on these segments it's uh you know it's it's tough and again um Winnipeg has been one of these inconsistent teams sometimes they're good sometimes they're not and when you don't have Connor Hellebuck doing Connor Hellebuck things in goal you're pretty much up the creek you can have all the you know firepower up front you want but if you don't have the the guy stopping the puck like he should at a caliber that 
Connor Hallibuck can be, this is trouble. So for me, I'm going to stop offering praise to Canadian teams because it seems to add the <laughs> broadcaster stink all over it. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Brock, one thing to put on your radar here. It is March, which means that it's NCAA basketball tournament time. This weekend is the conference tournaments, but still gives me the opportunity to do my Dickie V, my Dick Vitale impression. It's the madness, baby. It's a dandy. And there is a dandy tonight at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on Fox between the University of Connecticut and Marquette University. Uh, Marquette University ranked sixth in the country. Connecticut ranked 11th in the country. It's the semifinal of the Big East Tournament in Madison Square Garden. Marquette is one of these sneaky, dark horse, potential tournament winning teams next week when the big national tournament kicks off one of the most efficient scoring teams in the nation they do not play fast they play real slow and uh, connecticut is a little bit the other way they like to play the game with a bit of tempo if marquette wins tonight in the semifinal of the big east tournament and goes on to win the big east tournament they're looking at a potential number one seed when the seeds are announced on sunday so brock you always like me to put some things on your sports radar 6 30 p.m eastern time tonight marquette and connecticut it should be a dandy i love the impression i have heard that that's pretty accurate i uh i do my dickie v I, I've, I've been working on it for a couple of years uh brock thank you for this have a great weekend you as well that's brock richardson he's a dandy it's a madness with brock richardson he uh, is at the ami sports desk alex smith is at the ami weather desk You got me with that uh, voice track at the end there, Dave. Okay, well, here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We'll start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. It's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow or freezing rain this morning. There's wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is one, but feeling like nine degree, minus 9 degrees. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's clouds rolling in. There is a chance of snow today. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The highest minus one, feeling like minus 12. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's increasing clouds as the day goes on. The high is two degrees, feeling like minus 10 with that wind chill. Over to Quebec City, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds today. The high is three degrees, but a minor wind chill that makes it feel like minus five. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with snow starting this morning. There's up to 10 centimeters expected to fall. The high is minus one, feeling like minus eight. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow this morning. The high is minus three, feeling like minus 11 without wind chill. Over to Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow. The high is minus four and the wind chill makes it feel like minus 19. There is a snowfall warning in effect with heavy snow expected overnight and into tomorrow. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow today. There's also wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 6 with a wind chill of minus 23. And there's actually a blizzard warning effect in place right now to, uh, set to begin this evening. In Lethbridge, Alberta, there's heavy snow starting this morning with up to 10 centimeters set to fall. The high is minus 10, feeling like minus 23 with that wind chill. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with snow starting this afternoon. It's minus 10 as well, but a bit cooler with a wind chill of minus 25. Over to Whitehorse, Yukon, there's snow off and on today with up to 2 centimeters set to fall. 
There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 10 with a wind chill of minus 25. New BC will start in Kelowna, BC. It's cloudy with a chance of snow today. The high is three degrees, but feeling like minus nine. And finally in Vancouver, BC today, it's cloudy with a chance of rain in the morning, and then it'll become a mix of sun and clouds in the afternoon. And the high is nine degrees today. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, the Academy Awards are this weekend. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely will stop by to give his predictions. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. The Academy Awards take place this Sunday night on CTV. Oscars will be handed out for all sorts of achievements in film. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely has a few predictions on who will take home the hardware. Hey, good morning, Michael. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing well. Looking forward to a bit of an Oscars preview here, along with some predictions that I'm going to take to my online uh, gambling website. But, Michael, we'd be here all day if we tried to break down all the categories. So let's focus on a couple of the biggies. The nominees for Best Actress are Kate Blanchett for her role in Tar, Anna de Armas in Blonde, Andrea Riseborough in To Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, and Michelle Yao for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Michael, according to you, the winner is... It's going to be Michelle Yao. And the reason I say that is because she has proven herself to be a wonderful performer, not only in this film, but also a lifetime achievement. One of the things that happens with the Oscars that I've noticed and that other people have noticed is that the Oscars reward people who have had a lifetime of work in the entertainment industry. And sometimes you get an Oscar not for the best movie, but for a movie that's good enough to make sure that you get the recognition that you deserve. However, Everything, everywhere, all at once is a great movie by everyone's standards. So it will be very, very uh, impressive for Michelle to win this. Michael, I am not going to disagree with you at all here. I thought she was phenomenal in this part, both as a very human character, but also as an action character. The range that she showed, absolutely Oscar-worthy. Yes, and to know that she's an older woman and that she's carrying her weight in all the action scenes is certainly something to be remembered. And it's not only that, it's also the Asian representation that we've talked about being so fundamental in the last few years on this segment is, is still going strong today. We still have a lot of racism and discrimination out there in the world, and this will help set things right to show that Many people deserve to be recognized for their talents. Mm. Moving over to Best Actor, the nominees are Austin Butler for his performance in Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishnirin, Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Paul Mescal in After Sun, and Bill Nighy in Living. Michael, and the Oscar goes to... 
It goes to Brendan Fraser, unfortunately, for the whale, which I'm not happy about. Uh, I'm not happy about because it trivializes people with disabilities. And it's one of those films that's very stereotypical, where someone is wearing a fat suit. Again, it's Brendan Fraser being recognized, not necessarily the movie itself, but um, it's important that Brendan Fraser gets recognized now because he has survived a Me Too movement. He was sexually harassed himself, and um, he's coming back after a long time away. So I believe the Academy will want to recognize his efforts in coming back and that they'll be attracted to the disability in their costume kind of movie. So despite my disappointment, I, I understand why he would get the award. If I could give the Oscar to anybody I wanted, I would give it to Paul Mescal, because I believe that he deserves it. Um, he gave a haunting performance in After Sun, which no one should miss. And After Sun is a movie about a father and a daughter who are trying to have a good vacation but we realize that it's the last vacation that they will have together. So that's Best Actor and Best Actress. Finally, the big one. Best Picture. The nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way to Water, The Banshees of Inishnirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, otherwise known as My Sex Life, Women Talking, Michael, who is taking home the Oscar? One, we could give Steven Spielberg another Oscar, because of course he doesn't have enough. <laughs> um, but if we give Steven Spielberg an Oscar, we're going the historical route, because The Fablemans is really a biopic about Steven Spielberg himself. So again, I think we would be a hard win. Steven Spielberg himself, as well as Paul Dano and Michelle Williams for playing his parents. So it's really a Steven Spielberg love fest. However, I think we're going in the other direction. I think we're going everything, everywhere, all at once. Again, 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 again. Because it's been nominated 11 times. So we're probably going to get nine, at least nine awards here. And this is going to be one of them. It's not just Michelle Yeoh, it's everyone else, including um, Key Kwan, who Steven Spielberg supported in his original Indiana Jones. Um, it'd be Stephanie Sue, and it'd be James Hahn. Um, James Hahn is 94 years old, can you believe that? Mm. And he thinks his career is just getting started. Can you imagine being 94 years old and being excited, being excited to start doing some more movies because finally you're getting the recognition that you deserved? His wife, of course, is not too happy. His wife wants him to retire and to have fun with her. And presumably they're seeing their home. But no, when you're an actor, it's in your bones and you gotta fight it out. <laughs> so so I really I think what I really like about everything if we will all at once is a it's a queer story too. There's a queer dynamic in there. And it's impressive that everyone at the end of the film comes to accept the lesbian relationship, which is at the core of the film itself, including a ninety-four-year-old grandfather. Mm. So please give that film an Oscar and, you know, just let Steven Spielberg um, be okay. He'll be fine. He's got E.T. from whom? Whatever. 
<laughs> uh, Michael, once again, I'm inclined to agree with you. I have not seen all 10 of these movies, but of the ones that I've seen, Everything Everywhere All at Once was by far the best of them. It was by far the best in class as an achievement in filmmaking that told a fairly complex story in terms of the way the story was told, but at its core, it was such a beautiful human story about a family dynamic. It was literally everything, everywhere, all at once. It was a movie that made me laugh, it made me cry, and was loaded with great action. Michael, I would say Everything Everywhere All at Once is a masterpiece in filmmaking. I think I agree with you in that regard. I think the historical significance of the film cannot be underestimated. I think if it wins the Oscar, it's going to do so much good for so many people in 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Mm. The only thing that I need to make sure that doesn't happen is that nobody gets slapped and that we don't mix up the envelopes and that we don't take up. <laughs> and that we don't give too long speeches and that we don't have, you know, protests happen within the league. So I just I just want a regular Oscars for once in our lives. Yeah, but just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill Oscars. Just hand out some awards, everybody go to the parties, get your gift bags, and have a good time. Michael, speaking of some industry chatter, because you just mentioned a couple industry controversies, there's been some Hollywood industry chatter about the campaigns that films and studios undertake to garner Academy votes. Some insiders are calling for your consideration campaigns a form of bribery. What's your take on that issue? Yes, so um, Andrea Weisbow is a wonderful actress. Um, she was nominated in two last night, which we did not say would win Best Actress. Uh, Best actress. But um, she was nominated because she had a campaign. It's not clear about whether or not she was behind that campaign, behind that campaign 100%, or if it was her publicist. But essentially what happened was the publicist got um, got a few stars, including um, Kate Blanchett from Tar, to write about to write about Andrea Weisbow and to say that Andrea is a fantastic actress, that she is not being given the due that she's she's worth. Um, Ultimately, there's a little bit of a gray area. It's a little bit of a controversy because getting other stars to do your work for you in the publicity campaign is questionable, especially when you're talking about Kate Blanchett, who is up for the same award herself. There's a conflict of interest about whether or not she's actually being sincere in wanting to give Andrea Weisbow the attention that she deserves, or who actually deserves the attention. Um, Unfortunately, this controversy has started to include Michelle Yeoh, who I think a few days ago shared a um, shared an article on her Instagram, again about Kate Blanchett, and again saying that Kate Blanchett represents the majority of actresses who are already who already have an Oscar who don't need another one. So it's it's not really clear if Michelle believes that what the article is saying. But again, it's just a little bit of dirty dealing when you start talking about other people in your same category and people will be confused about who to vote for. 
So I think what needs to happen as an industry and within the academy is that the academy needs to be very clear about what the rules are and that nobody broke them this year. But maybe people were confused about what the rules were and going forward, there will be stronger enforcement mm-hmm. about what the rules are. So I think, unfortunately, this this controversy has overshadowed too, Leslie, which is a great film, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't really deserve the Oscar recognition. That's what I would say at this time because of the controversy. So closing thought here, Michael, what's your Oscars plan for Sunday? You're going to a party, heading to a screening at a bar, keeping it solo at home? What's the plan? I think I'll probably be just trying to catch up on some of the movies that I haven't seen yet. Um, I, I just enjoy reading the Twitter. I enjoy reading the articles afterwards more than I actually enjoy watching it. Because um, unfortunately, the Oscars sometimes has slow captioning because they're doing live captioning. And the captioning can be about two or three minutes behind. So. When everybody else knows who wins, I'm still reading about Tom Cruise and jumping off an airplane. And I'm so far behind, I don't feel like I'm part of the conversation. But when I when I look at Twitter or when I look at social media or read what my friends are writing about, I feel like I'm part of the conversation then. And I'm, I can say, oh, yeah, she deserved that award at the same time as everybody else. Very good. The second screen experience for Michael McNeely on Sunday night. Michael, thank you for this. Have a great weekend. You too, and we'll talk again next week, and we'll see how many predictions we got. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold you to account, Michael. When I lose money betting on these things on the weekend, I'm gonna blame you. That's entertainment critic Michael McNeely. The Academy Awards take place this Sunday in the evening on CTV. Coming up after the break, it's roundtable time with Alex. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let's hand things over to Alex Smythe for the roundtable chat while I sneeze because I think there's dog fur in my nose. <laughs> Not a problem, Dave. I, I could I could tell something was uh, going on. So uh, this weekend, daylight savings time is set to end. So that means we are springing forward, turning our clocks forward an hour. This has been something that, you know, has been a debate for the past number of years now it's very antiquated some places are not doing it anymore like a lot of people seem to be on the fence where there's a lot of holding patterns or plans well if some some places change then we will change as well so i wanted to open it up to uh the panel and i want to find out what will it actually take for us to finally adopt a change and no longer deal with daylight savings and and, uh, time and all that stuff. So, uh, Ramya, why don't we start with you? What will it take to end daylight savings time? Well, literally, uh, I think the commentary was that if New York, the state of New York does it and Quebec does it, then Ontario will do it. So I think that's what it takes because I've heard various variants of this from BC as well. Like if our neighboring people do it, we'll do it. So I don't know what it is. Like we're all just waiting on each other, even though I think it's about time we could all be doing it. 
Yeah, well, for, for example, Arizona is currently two hours behind everybody, and as of sa- as of Sunday morning, will be three hours behind. They already don't recognize Saskatchewan Oof. doesn't recognize parts of Alberta doesn't recognize it. There are all kinds of parts of the country that no that no longer do it. But Rami, I think you hit the the, the nail on the head right there, saying it's the city. It, it, it's when it's when gargantuans do it. When New York does it, like if New York and Toronto do it then Mm -hmm. everybody else is going to fall in line, right? Whether it's Quebec and New York or Ontario and New York, when these kinds of states will do it, states or provinces will do it, then everybody's going to fall in line and say, you know what? Yeah, that seems fine. But just for now, I don't don't know who wants to be the first person through the wall. Nazreen, what do you think it will take to get everybody to get in line? I mean, I agree with both of you. I mean, it's just the the fact that everybody else does it that we're going to have to do it too. And if I feel like... I feel like if it's if they stop, New York stops or whatever, then we're going to stop doing it. I honestly don't have a problem with it. I don't feel like a lot of people have a lot of complaints about daylight savings time. So. Well, there, well, there's health issues. There's significant health issues. Yeah. Uh, heart, heart attacks go up. Car crashes go up. Like there, there are a lot of health issues that tend to uh, spike up the week after either the, the clock's falling back or forward. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like if it increases, then maybe that will come, you know, convince them to kind of make well, it stop? Well, that's the thing. The evidence is already there and that, that, has, there, that hasn't yeah. seemed to persuade yeah, people. But, but, but we don't live in an evidence-based society. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> we live in an emotionally-based society. Yeah. Alex, what do you think? What do you think it would take people to get, get people in line? You know, I, I think it just takes some brave politician to actually forward this and be like, look, in, enough of waiting on other people to do it. As you mentioned, Dave, Saskatchewan does it, parts of Alberta does it. There's parts of, I think, Quebec and Nova Scotia does it. The Yukon already uh, have ended it. Like, we, we already live in this weird patchwork anyways. I, I think it's a concern of, well, we want our, our time to be aligned with New York. I mean... People will adjust. We already have to adjust. Like it, it's not like it has to be a blanket national, you know, unifying thing because people are already doing it. Uh, Newfoundland is already ahead half an hour and an hour and a half. Right. You know, it, it's it's we're already living in a jumbled world. Let's just try to like, you know, just smooth it out a little bit. I so I think it just takes someone to actually stand up because I think there's a lot of public support to finally ending it. You mentioned all the health impacts that it does have. Like, yeah, we, we see the sunshine a bit more and, and, and mm-hmm. it's just that day. But I think the initial values of it are a bit dated. And we, we live in a, a 24-hour world now. Let's get rid of it. It's it's interesting that you've all identified alignment. And, and there's sort of a region centricity to the way that people think about the way their region deals with the time change with daylight saving time. It's um, something that happened between me and one of our contributors, John Lupke, who lives in Saskatchewan, where we were trying to figure out when his time slot would land on the show. And he's like, well, no, no, you're the ones who change your clocks. I'm like, yeah, but you're the ones who are being difficult by not changing your clocks with the rest of us we had such a funny email exchange talking about that while trying to pin down uh, when exactly he was going to be appearing on the show guys got to be quick on this one because we don't want to cut into karen mckay's time too much here but if you had a preference what do you guys like do you like the sun coming up earlier in the morning or do you like sunset being later at night nazreen what do you prefer a brighter morning or a brighter evening I like a brighter morning. I'm more productive in the morning, that's for sure. Oh. Ramya, you sound like you might be in a little bit of disagreement there. 
I've been sitting on the fence all week with these rapid fire questions, but I will pick a side. I love the later sun in the evening. I, nowhere else. You can go to the hottest places in, around the world and still, you know, sunsets at seven something. But I love being out at 9.30 p.m. in Toronto in summer days. It's just so nice. As someone who has to carry sunglasses around with them at all times, so long as there's yeah. sun out, I kind of prefer the idea of a brighter morning, although I've also oh. been cursing those the last couple of weeks as well as I've been walking in. <laughs> Alex, what about you? Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence, David. There's the pros and cons, you know, the sunglasses issues, but also the night blindness. I'm blind in the sun, I'm blind in, at night, so <laughs> I guess I'll go with the sun. I can see a bit more. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Alex, thank you for this. Have a great weekend. Nazreen, you have a nice weekend as well. Thank you, you too. Uh, I mentioned there was dog fur in my nose before. It's because our colleague Paula Deneen brought her lovely dog Stella in, and I was playing with Stella during the break, and I seemed to have gotten some Stellaness in my nose, and that's why I almost <laughs> sneezed at the start of this segment. There might also be a smudge on my glasses because Stella booped me right onto the lens of my glasses as well. Uh, Ramya, you brought your dog in here earlier this week, and uh, Glizzy was quite the character during that episode of Kelly and Ramya, at least behind the scenes. What's coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern time today on AMI-TV and my audio um hopefully stella will be there when i get there i'll just say that out loud on air okay so microsoft unveiled a uh, ai model that in understands image content and solves visual puzzles <laughs> so they're just getting smarter and smarter uh we're gonna learn more about that with john bueller on our app update we have our gardening segment with susan kearney and we're highlighting the evening primrose she got into it a little bit last week but we wanted to get to know this plant specifically and on the chatty bookshelf there's a there's a book a new book that ryan who he's super into he says it does not disappoint Ooh. it's uh by colin kaepernick and it's called change the game all right on ramia thank you for this thank you Ra that's ramia amethan the co-host of kelly and ramia which comes your way 2 p.m eastern time on ami tv and ami audio coming your way next is karen mckay from the center for equitable library access karen will have some details on the carol shields prize for fiction this is now with dave brown on ami tv It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There is a new literary award named after the writer Carol Shields. The prize is for fiction, and Karen McKay, the communications manager for the Center for Equitable Library Access, has some details on it. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, Dave. Nice to see you back. Nice to be back, and always great to talk literature with you. Karen, to your mind, what's the significance of this award being named after Carol Shields? Well, really, it's to increase the uh, um, awards for female and non-binary writers. There's lots of data that shows that really we're still in an area where those categories of writers don't get as much um, promotion. And as a result, they don't make as much money. They don't get as, as many opportunities. And so Carol Shields Award is really to address that inequity. What is the winner going to receive uh, once they get their flowers for winning this one? This is a very rich award. It's one of the most um, financially, uh, it's one of the largest financial awards in North America. So finalists take home $12,500 oh, wow. US money mm -hmm. and the winner receives $150,000. 
and they get a residency at the Fogo Island Inn, which, I mean, that's worth a lot of money in and of itself and a lot of opportunity. So, yeah, it's a really um, an important award. So the long list has already been announced. When will the winner be announced? So they do another, they do a short list, which comes up on April 6th, and then the winner is announced on May the 4th. Okay, so this is going to unfold pretty quickly. Again, I'm just going to remind mm-hmm. folks, Carol Shield, uh, Carol Shield, Carol Shield. Wait, sorry, Karen, is it Carol Shield or Carol Shields? Shields with an S. Shields with an S. I just want to remind folks, because that's one that you may want to put on the radar as an opportunity to expand your reading and uh, learn a little bit more about Carol Shields. And especially uh, if you are a writer yourself, it's one that although you're too late this year, you can put that one on your radar and try and pick up uh, next year. Uh, Karen, let's switch over to your featured titles. You've always got a great theme. And this one, I feel like you're kind of uh, playing the dealer a little bit. You're, you're, you're picking something <laughs> right at my heart, which is the theme of time and time travel. Before I ask you with the books give me sort of the 30 or 45 seconds about why this theme was on your mind well we're changing time this weekend i think at least i'm planning on it daylight saving this weekend yeah so i thought that'd be a fun thing to sort of play off and there's been lots of books that have had time travel you either love it or you hate it but i didn't just stick to time travel so there's books about time and the meaning of time but also books about time travel yeah it was a good pick for this weekend this first one you've got uh is right up a lot of people's alleys 4,000 weeks time management for mortals by oliver berkerman so I've been in a number of different webinars and business settings, and everybody that talks about this book raves about it. It comes up often. So it's based on the premise that the average human lifespan is absurdly, uh, insultingly brief. It assumes that if you live to be 80, you have just 400, uh, sorry, 4,000 weeks to oh, live. That's alarming. So it is alarming when you sort of think of it that way. So. Oliver Berkman starts by acknowledging that nobody needs to be told that there isn't enough time in our lives. We are obsessed with our to-do lists and our inboxes and our work-life balance. Um, And we're deluged with advice that if we become more productive and efficient, we'll kind of get to the good parts of life. But he says we need to stop thinking that way. So um, he shows us that the problem's really different. We rarely make the connection between what we do on our to-do list and our daily struggles with time. And the ultimate time management problem is how are we gonna best use our 4,000 weeks? So this book is really well researched. It draws on insights of ancient and contemporary philosophers, psychologists, spiritual teachers, and he delivers a really um, entertaining uh, take on this. So it's humorous, but it's also practical. And it's also going to get you thinking in very profound ways. Mm. Uh, so he, he pretty much cuts to the chase in the book. He says, if you've got 4,000 or so weeks to live, you'll never be able to accomplish all the things you'd like to do. And even if you could, would it matter? Because in the end, in the long run, we're all dead, which is, you know, it just sort of makes you think, okay, <laughs> well, maybe we need to think differently about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe it's time to get cracking, you know? Maybe it's time it to is. Do it is. <laughs> it is. So he really says, you know, work towards the things that have intrinsic value for you and not some sort of thing that you think will eventually make you happy. And if you can't be happy in this moment, you probably never will be, no matter how many things you cross off your to-do list. So it's not just philosophical. He gives us tools for sort of constructing a new way of thinking meaningfully about life and about time. And it gives us permission to rethink some of the ingrained and unhelpful ideas that we have in our society around time and productivity in favor of sort of creating a different approach, giving us permission to make some different choices. And ultimately it sort of changes the idea of productivity to become more about encouraging building communities and helping find meaning in life. And that, you know, letting some of those things on your to-do list. 
mm. fall to the wayside because they're not going to matter in the long run. This next one, very famous author, maybe not his most famous work, though. It's 112263, a novel by Stephen King. Yeah, so this book, he actually um, started to think about it in 1971, and it took him about 30 years to write it. So uh, it's been a long time percolating. It is based on the idea that Jack Epping, or Jake Epping rather, who's an English teacher from Lisbon Falls, can time travel to prevent the Kennedy assassination. So Jake, through his friend Al, discovers a portal that takes him back to 1958, where he takes over Al's obsessive mission to prevent the Kennedy assassination. Jake finds himself a, a new life in the past. He creates a new identity, and he lives in a world filled with big American cars and rock and roll, but also racism and sexism and homophobia, some of the things that we've made some efforts to, to move forward from in current time. So he, Jake falls in love with a beautiful high school librarian, Sadie, and uh, as the date of 11-22-63 approaches, he encounters a loner named Lee Harvey Oswald, who we all know. And so this is a really extremely well-researched piece of historical fiction. It's also a, a look at time travel. He uh, sort of plays with the idea about if you could change something in the past, what will it do to the future? It's also a small town thriller. There's some interesting things. I don't think Stephen King can get away from writing something that are, <laughs> are sort of thriller based, right? It's in his, wait, it's in is, wait, is it set in Maine? Is it set in Maine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it ends up in Texas, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruin the the whole thing for you. Okay. But it's also it's really a beautiful love story. So there's something in here for everyone. Um, it, you know, Stephen King is masterful in terms of how he creates characters, and they're so vivid, and they're so likable, and they're so believable that we can sort of get ourselves caught up in the whole idea of time traveling, which is pretty phenomenal. So um, this book is it's not a light, easy read. It's 800 pages. The Ooh. narrated version, yeah, it's 32 hours. So you might want to read the book we talked about before to see if this is one of the books that you want to spend your time on. Uh, but it's a fantastic book, well-reviewed. Um, it's a little bit older. I don't think it's gotten the... Um, the visibility that it probably should have. And you don't have to love Stephen King's sort of genre, like his, um, you know, his gore. There's no gore in this book. It's it's just a historical fiction book, but it's a page turner, even uh, at 800 pages. Karen, one of the regular themes within these theme discussions is we run out of time. So it seems all the more oh, appropriate dear. today. So I've got to hold you to sort of a minute on this one, and I'll give you the choice of The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli or The Dream Daughter, a novel by Diane Chamberlain. Oh, I'm going to pick the Dream Daughter, a novel by Diane Chamberlain. So this is a book about um, a Carolyn Sears. It's 1970. She's pregnant. Her uh, husband's been killed in Vietnam. And she finds out that there is um, a problem with the baby, that there's a problem with the baby's heart. And so her brother-in-law, Hunter, uh, who sort of embraced the Sears family and never looked back, he is telling her that something can be done about the baby's heart, something that will shatter every preconceived notion that Caroline has and will require a leap of faith, literally. And so for the love of her unborn child, she in, uh, sort of starts on this journey. The book is really, it's beautiful, it's genre-spanning, it's breathtaking, all of these different family stories weave together. It's really um, a lovely gentle, tender, but uh, interesting book and on time travel. Karen, thank you for this. And I apologize that I never give you your rightful time due, but all the best to you. Have a great weekend and good luck uh, setting those clocks forward.
Thanks, you too. That's Karen McKay, the Communications Manager at the Centre for Equitable Library Access. You can follow Sela on Twitter at Sela Library. That's C-E-L-A Library on Twitter. That's all the time we have for the show today. It's all the time we have for the show this week. Remember to adjust your clocks or be like me and just let the machines do it for you. I haven't changed the clock on my stove in forever. Whatever time my stove says is what it says. I just let my stove be and live its life. And otherwise my phone adjusts its clock automatically. Until Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. And as we do at the end of every week, we say thank you to the people who put this show together behind the scenes. So let's roll those credits. Host, Dave Brown. Co-host producer, Alex Smythe. Sports reporter, Brock Richardson. Contributors, Rami Amuthan, Nazreen Abdel-Majid. Senior show producer, Andrika Delanerol. Visual producer, Bruce Beclarian. Producers, Paul Daniel, Marianne Dion-Jones. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Director, Anastasia Spalding-Stenhouse. Control room operators, Daniel Panamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Director of Content Development, Kara Nye. Vice President of Programming, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media, Inc. NAMI Original Production. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.